Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Good. I love hanging out with you guys. It's fun. I once heard this quote. Uh, you probably heard me say it before, uh, but I think it's 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 really um, rich and helpful. Uh, but it was by an author named Stephen Covey, and he said, "If the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step you take just gets you to the wrong place faster." Uh, when I when I've heard that quote, and I was thinking over it this week, two things, two images came to my mind based on that quote. One was uh, when Allie and I, uh, a few years ago, were living in California. We joined a rock, a rock wall climbing gym. Uh, we didn't go all the time. We didn't go nearly enough for what we paid to be a part of that gym. Um, but, but we did like going when we did go. And uh, when we would go, you, uh, maybe you've been to a rock climbing gym, a little bit different than when you're like in a fun space where, an amusement space where there's just rock walls. Uh, because they will change the pegs in and out at the rock climbing gym uh, to have different holes in different positions at different times to kind of keep it interesting so that there's new challenges all the time when you're climbing it. And then each, each uh, course is charted intentionally by an expert and they put the pegs in the right spot, the right places to be challenging based on the different level of difficulty. So then they have different color codes that kind of designate which route is which route. And so you know that if you are trying to climb an easier route and be slightly challenged, you go on this one and another one that's kind of harder on this one. Now they kind of map out the course you could choose not to follow the course at all and kind of do your own thing. And you, you can do that and you can climb that. But what you don't do if you do that is climb what was set up for you to climb. You have climbed something different than that. You've charted your own path. So that's the first thing that that kind of brings to mind. Not that you're climbing a different wall, but in a way you kind of are climbing a different wall because you're not climbing the wall that was set before you. You kind of charted your own path. The other example that, uh, that that brought to mind was like some old cartoon. I couldn't think of one in particular, but you know, that kind of the imagery of when there's a ca art cartoon character who's kind of running away from somebody and they begin to climb up a ladder as fast as they can. And then they jump over into an enclosure and they realize that they just jumped into the enclosure at the zoo where there's like lions or tigers or bears. And, um, and, and you get there and, and then they're like freaking out. They're like, oh no, because they climbed so fast. They get away from something bad, but they just got into something worse. And so that was, those are the kind of images that come to my mind when I hear that quote, that if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. So the question that I kind of had with that is what do you put your effort, passion, and time into? What do you put your effort, passion, and time into? Now, last week we talked a lot about contentment and, uh, and that there are different things that we each will pursue to fill the hole left in us by discontentment. And we kind of define discontentment as the quest for more. So we passionately begin to climb our ladder up against any of those walls, those things that we have identified that if I just get that next thing, then I'll, I'll feel better. I'll be better relationships, careers, finances, our hobbies, and a ton of other things, right? Things that we will pursue and go after, believing that at the end of it, we will receive contentment. We climb those ladders, believing in our hearts that if we just get to the top, then, then I'll be there. In my early 20s, this is exactly how I felt about relationships. And especially as, uh, as I dreamt of one day getting married, 
And I wanted it so badly and it caused a bunch of heartache. And then one day, Allie and I start dating and eventually we decide to pursue marriage. But then through our engagement in our first year of marriage, Allie and I had to grapple with the reality that this was something that I had made a huge idol in my heart. That if I just got married, then I would feel better. Then I would be complete. Then everything would have worked out perfectly. It didn't. Allie's great, but, but this was not what was supposed to complete me. Her, our relationship, it had built unrealistic expectations that she and us could not live up to. The problem wasn't desiring or getting married, but it was that in my heart, I was climbing the ladder, leaning up against the wrong wall, looking for completeness, contentment, and satisfaction in something that's not meant to bring any of those. So which ladder, which wall has the ladder of your heart been most recently hanging out with? Because every step we take, the wrong ladder only gets us to the wrong place faster. See, it's not enough just to identify the wrong walls that we might attempt to scale. It's also important that we understand and desire the right wall, that we are looking for what is good, right, what's going to bring true satisfaction, true completeness. So then the question goes back to where should we put our efforts, desires, purpose, and time? Where should we put that stock? What should we be pursuing? Now, this brings us back to where we've been at in the letter of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to open up your Bible there tonight. Now, we have come a long way through this letter so far. And so if this is your first time here, you're kind of new to the journey, or you kind of missed uh, halfway through, let me just briefly catch up just a little bit with some of the things that are most helpful for tonight. Because tonight we are beginning, uh, I am both excited and super sad to say, we are beginning the kind of the, the, the last straightaway of our race through the letter of 1 Timothy. And so as we are reaching this conclusion point, what we have discovered so far is that this was a letter that was written from one of the leaders of the early church, a guy named Paul, to one of his star pupils, his star disciple, a guy named Timothy. And he sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus, who he deeply loved. And he has sent Timothy to Ephesus to go and shepherd and pastor this church because there had been these false teachers who began spreading bad beliefs and bad practice within the context of their local church. But this, law, this letter was not written simply just to correct, but instead to ensure that Timothy, and by extension that this entire church, was focused on one aim, the aim of love. That above all else, everything else, even the corrective stuff, all of it is for the aim of love. And that's not something that Paul came up with. He didn't like trademark that one. He was riffing off Jesus, who said when he was asked, what is the greatest of the law? He says to love the Lord your God with everything in you and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus would go on to explain that even further within the context of biblical community, when he says that, you, that the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The aim is love. Now, this letter is, is like written out in ink of love by Paul to Timothy, because this is a very personal letter for Timothy from Paul. 
Now, most of the New Testament letters that we have gone through so far weren't written to individuals. They were written to entire church congregations, and then the letters would kind of get spread out throughout the ancient world. This one, this one was written from one person to another person, as that person was called to shepherd the rest of the church around them. And then it was eventually spread out. But it doesn't change the original intent that this was a very personal letter filled with specific messages, specific relational language, kind of like relational shorthand that you might have with some of your closest friends where you say one thing and then they know exactly what you mean, but other people might think, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like that's the kind of language that Paul kind of uses in some of this letter. Now this conclusion that we're entering into tonight is a very personal reminder from Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. So let's go ahead and get into it together. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So let's pause there. So he's writing specifically to one man, to Timothy in this. Like before this, he was kind of talking, Timothy, go tell this to everyone else. But now he's saying, Timothy, flee these things. So first off, what is he calling to flee? Well, this is the stuff that we covered last week and the things that he's talking about, which were the broken desires of the flesh, things like unhealthy cravings, the discontentment, the quest for more, everything that is broken and sinful. Flee these things. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't scale up the wrong wall. Don't scale up the wrong wall. Don't do it. In fact, run away from it completely because here's the deal. That wall it looks pretty appealing. In fact, there are signs that are pointing up to it with neon that are saying, this is the way to completeness. This is the way you got to go. You've got, you you got you to gotta check this place out. It's the signs that are saying, climb up this ladder and see. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to give you power. It's going to give you all of your heart's desires. Go for it. Go for it. And because all those signs are pointing up, climb this ladder and then you will get it. And then you'll get it your way. Don't hang around it. Don't be near it. Flee from it. Because it looks appealing. Because it, there's a voice that's going to tell you that's the right one. It's seductive. And if you're anything like me, those wrong walls you might find in your day-to-day -day life are hard to resist. This reminds me of a story that is written in the scroll of Genesis uh, in the early pages in Genesis chapter four. There's a story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they were the first offspring of Adam and Eve after they, uh, exited, after they had been exited out of the garden. And both uh, uh, Cain and Abel brought an offering before the Lord their God. And then God looks at Abel's offering and receives it with favor. He doesn't do the same with Cain's. And Cain is discouraged. He's just like, what? And he gets angry in his heart. And God can see what's going on in his heart. And so he begins to talk to him. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. 
its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What God is saying is he's using language that is uh, personifying this desire within you, the fleshly desires. Sin is crouching within you. It's crouching like a beast ready to pounce. It's desire though, it's not for you. It is actually against you. You're going to see those signs that are pointing. This way is going to make it all better. Go for it. Go for it. This is it. You got to get after it. Don't do it. Those signs, they're all lies. Sin is crouching out the door. And so he says to Cain, choose what's right. Pass the test. Choose what is good. Flee from it. Be on guard. Conquer it. In other words, it's not your friend. It can't be tamed. Don't listen to its voice. Don't put up with it. Now all that is true. Flee from it. But the goal isn't to just flee from it and just go anywhere, but it's to go to the right place, which is what Paul's going to get at next in, as we continue on in the letter. It's not about just running away from what might be sinful or broken. Instead, what he wants is he's saying, but look for the good way. Look for the wall that leads to life. He explains, pursue. So not just flee from, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So now Paul takes Timothy in this letter by the hand and says, flee all that. Don't put up with that, but come over here. I know that one looks really cool. That one's super seductive. That one has all the bells and whistles to it, but come over here. Do you see this one? This wall over here. I know it looks older, ancient. The, the ladder looks more difficult to climb. It doesn't look as appealing, but it has its own beauty to it. That one. That's the one. Climb that one. Now, each of these things are the polar opposite of what is broken within us. These things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, these are realities. These are traits that are selfless, kind, humble, filled with genuine love for God and others. And if you embody these realities, it changes the way that you view all the rest of life from the mundane to the hopes and dreams to the griefs and desires. Everything is changed by these realities. It changes the way that you walk into a job interview this week. It changes the way that you view the relationships at, in your workplace, in your, uh, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. It changes the way that you interact with others while you're working. It changes the way that you interact with yourself when you're in seasons of deep grief. Everything changes in light of this because you are scaling the right wall within you. The outflow in your life begins to look more and more like life, light, and freedom and less and less like death, darkness, and bondage. So this is where Paul gets to next when he says to then in that case, Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, if you've been around the church very much, you might have heard that phrase before. And oftentimes where I've heard it attached to is kind of this idea of fighting the good fight, of ensuring that godliness and justice are present in the culture around us. So like fight the good fight. It's, it's hard, but go for it. Now, those aren't bad things by any means, but that is totally not what Paul's talking about here. What is he talking about? 
What Paul is getting at here is he is saying, fight nonstop. Fight the good fight of the faith that godliness is present within your heart and your mind. There is a battle and it's in you. There's a battle and it's in you and it's worth it. It's, it's a real fight, but it's worth it. That you would be pursuing what is right and good and loving and faithful and gentle at the depths of your soul. That everything in you is sold out to that. Now at this point, it might seem to you like Paul is kind of a coach. He's kind of bringing you into the locker room after you just had a really bad first half of the game. And he's like, stop doing the bad stuff. Start doing the good stuff. You got this. Come on. Like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Let's go. Charge the field. You got this. Maybe you're even considering, okay, yeah, that's what I need to hear. Like, I have been doing bad, but I need to do good. So I need to start doing better. And tomorrow I'm going to start. Tomorrow I'm going to, I'm going to climb that ladder like nobody's business. It's going to be awesome. I mean, after all, look at the language Paul's using here. Flee, pursue, fight. That's kind of active language, right? And all of that kind of sounds like there's going to be a lot of effort that's going to be required of you. So maybe right now your takeaway is like, oh, I mean, you can stop talking now. I, I got my, my takeaway for tonight. Go and try harder. Like, I got it. This is it. Um, let's see how it goes. And that's where my mind and my heart actually grow. But if that's where you're at right now, then you are absolutely missing the point. And here's why that's good news. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. See, eternal life is not something that you can produce within yourself. You don't earn your way back to God. God makes his way to you. See, that first language, take hold of eternal life, you might look at that and see like, oh, okay, so I even am responsible to go and save myself. Like I, I, like, I don't even know what Jesus did up on the cross because like I have to do a lot of work here. But there's an operative phrase in here that's so easy to miss. Take hold of the eternal faith to which you were called. So you didn't pick up the phone to God. He called you. You don't pursue him. He pursues you. You didn't, no more than Asher got a, a hold of Allie and I when we were going to adopt him and said, hey, could you be my mommy and daddy? He didn't do that. We pursued him. And he is in our family forever. Nothing can change that. He calls us. Now, maybe not all of you in the room have experienced any of this yet. Like this is all confusing or, uh, and you wouldn't say that you have surrendered your life to Jesus or begin to trust that he can and has saved you. But here's what I do believe. That the very fact that you are sitting in this room, if that's you, is evidence that God is pursuing you. Something in you brought you into this space tonight. Maybe it was just a, a roommate. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe you're just, you wanted to come and just see what the way that whoever was going to speak on stage would make a fool of himself. I don't know. But for whatever reason, you said, yes, you're here tonight. 
And I will personally be excited to see where your journey leads. Because here's what I know to be true. God loves you desperately. And his desire is to pursue. He saves. Now that doesn't mean that we aren't a part of the journey. It just means that we take hold of what he has already freely given, what he has called us into. And because he saves us, he continues to save us and he does the good work that is in us. In other words, we don't produce righteousness, godliness, faith, gentleness, steadfastness, or love any more than we have already been able to save ourselves, which according to scriptures is not at all. And all those realities are here's what's so cool. We get to be active participants in the story. It's not that it's like, all right, like just do your thing. No, no, we, it's not that either. It's we are actively participating with him in the work that he is doing. The father invites us to fight the good fight. You know, that fight that Jesus already won on your behalf on the cross, that one. We get to participate in that one. It's, a, it's actually a rigged game. Jesus already won. We just get to go into the field with him. It's crazy. The fight that the Holy Spirit now empowers us to fight within our own hearts and our own minds. That fight. This is why Jesus talks about what it means to abide with him. He says, as you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We don't have it in ourselves, but he has all of it. Our job is to draw as close to him as possible, stay attached to him and watch what he does in us and through us. And then this fruit, this stuff that he's talking about here, godliness, love, faith, steadfastness, stuff that I'm not naturally good at, he's really good at doing in us. Now, I love specifically the way he talks about salvation in this passage, especially what he's going to attach it to at the end of this verse. And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, this is likely referring to the moment of Timothy's baptism when he made his confession in front of the presence, in the presence of many witnesses. See, baptism, it doesn't save you, but it is a public declaration in front of biblical community of an inward resurrection within you. That you have gone from spiritual death into new life. And so it's a confession. It's making a good confession in front of many witnesses. Hence why you don't get baptized in your bathtub when you're kind of hanging out by yourself at home. You come in front of the church and you get baptized into the family. Because here's what's so cool. When you get baptized in front of those many witnesses, those many witnesses are other brothers and sisters in the same family who at one point made that same good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And that, that, that lineage, it doesn't stop like 50 years ago. It goes back 2,000 years. If we had like the tree pattern, like the family tree, you would be able to track your descendants all the way back to the apostles' original work and beyond that to Jesus himself. See, we stand in a long line of those who have made the same good confession across cultures, across nationalities, across everything for the last two millennia. And all of these ultimately find their source, not in Paul, not in Peter, not in any of the cool individuals that we discover in the New Testament, except for Jesus, the only one who is truly good. 
Hence why where he goes next in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Good confession. Didn't we just read about that? We just read about Paul talking about Timothy. You made a good confession. And it's that same good confession that Jesus made. So he is binding the good confession of Timothy to the good confession of Jesus. Specifically, he talks about the good confession that was made in front of Pontius Pilate. So if you have your, uh, your memory towards the Gospels in your mind, then you remember that Pontius Pilate was the governor of Palestine, and he overruled all of the punishment that was dealt out on to Jesus. And so what happens is all the elders um, in the uh, in the, the Jewish governing body brings Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate and they say to him, they say to him, you've done this. They say to Pontius Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Messiah, the Christ, the King. And Pilate asks Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? And here's Jesus' good confession. You have said so. You have said so. That was the good confession. Simple. But he confirmed that he believed in that moment that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was the prophesied true king of Israel, who would bring light not just to the nation of Israel, but to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish individuals as well throughout history. He was the one who would come to bring light into a world of darkness. That was his good confession. Because what Jesus in that moment was doing was he was answering the most important question that you or I could ever answer. The same question that Jesus once asked an individual. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's the most important question in the history of the world. Who do you say I am? And when he asked that to Peter, he said, the Christ. But he didn't even know what he meant by that yet. But see, when Jesus said that, he knew exactly what it entailed. When he said, this, is this who you are? She said, you have said so. And see, our good confession is linked to that good confession. Timothy's good confession, Paul right here is linking that to, to King Jesus' good confession because we confess that Jesus is king and we root ourselves in his confession. We inherit the same charge that Paul is giving to Timothy here. So let's go back and reread that one again. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So why is he bringing up all this good confession stuff? And he is saying, because you have received that, because you stand in his presence, you have the opportunity to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until you either draw your last breath or as he says here, until King Jesus returns in body. So what does it mean to keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach? In other words, what, what commandment is he talking to? Paul in this letter talks about a lot of different commands. But remember, this is a personal letter from Paul to Timothy who has journeyed with him, who was discipled by with him for years. And the, and the commandment that Paul continue to regularly go back to is the same commandment that Jesus once gave when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all the law? 
And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the other laws and prophets, all of it is summed up in those words. So it's extremely likely that this is exactly what Paul is referring to here, bringing Timothy once again back to the aim of love. It always comes back to love. See, when we are living in the shadows and brokenness of sin, the most unfortunate reality is it sustains that commandment. When we are pursuing things in our own way, it does not demonstrate love for God or love for people. When we are living in light of the good confession of the gospel, what we are given the opportunity, we are empowered to keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach, not because we become perfect, but because we're not going up to the wrong wall anymore. Because we see that ancient wall that's beautiful, that's tricky and difficult sometimes, but it's always worth it. We see that one, and that one's marked by love. See, this is the wall our hearts and minds were meant to climb each and every day. It's not a one step and then you're fixed kind of thing. It is a daily, it's a daily reality. It's a daily engagement with who Jesus is. It is walking in the dust of our rabbis. We've been talking about this here. It's discovering him in intimacy. It's discovering him as we go on mission. It's discovering him and falling in his way as we come together in community because we stand with our good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We don't journey alone. We journey first and foremost with Jesus. And because we journey with Jesus, we journey with one another who are all following him. And so that's what Paul's getting at here, that we should hold on to this and do this. Keep pursuing the right wall until the day when King Jesus returns into our world to make everything right, when justice will take over the land completely, when every tear, every grief will be undone, every broken thing will be made untrue because he is that good. So which wall are you tempted to climb? I'd imagine if you're like me, it's the one that leads to discontentment, the quest for more. And it can be wrapped up in things like sinful habits, doubts, and skepticism. Things that were like, God, you can have all of these things, but not this one piece. That's mine. Flee. Flee these things. But don't just flee and run away, but flee and run to the right wall. That thing that is beautiful, that's understated and humble, but so powerful. Go towards the ladder that has been set up by Jesus so that you can scale the wall and experience life in him. Now, in each section of this letter, Paul uh, has done something really beautiful that we've touched on twice so far. And this is the third time he's going to do this. When he finishes a major teaching section, he likes to kind of put an exclamation mark by, uh, by citing a theologically formed poem or hymn about who Jesus is. And so for the final time in this letter, he's going to do that again. And he says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, meaning that he has the authority over everything. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 
Jesus, the only one who can save. Jesus, the only one who can transform your heart and your mind day by day, because Jesus is the only rabbi who is also the king. He's the only teacher who is also the savior. He is the only one who can pursue us and fill us. And King Jesus now invites us into the story in our own lives, in our own good fight that we, we dwell within ourselves, and as we become active participants in his work in community and in the world around us. So we pursue him because he has pursued us. We participate with him. Now I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up. And what I wanted us to do tonight is I wanted us to be reminded of the truth of what we have just unpacked in the scriptures. And so to do that, what I'm going to lead us into, we're going to engage in a spiritual rhythm, a spiritual rhythm known as uh, meditation and specifically meditation on scripture. Now there's a lot of different types of meditation that you can look up on YouTube or wherever else. Most other forms of meditation are about the emptying of self. Meditating on the scriptures is the exact opposite of that. It's not about emptying yourself. It's about filling yourself up with what is true and right and good. And so when we meditate on the scriptures, we allow our hearts and our minds to be saturated by what is right, true, and good. We can hear God's voice because in the scriptures we have God's voice. So I'm going to read this passage twice, slowly. And as I do, what I would just love for you to do is to either just simply keep your eyes closed and your palms up on your lap, or maybe you have your journal out and, and you have it ready to write something. If as we're going through this passage, there's a word that, just, that is just sticking out to you and you just want to capture that and pray through that and process that. The only change I'm going to make is this letter again was written from Paul to one individual, the man named Timothy. So I will um, change it just slightly so that it includes all of us in this space. All right. Mm -hmm. Would you take three deep breaths with me? But as for you, O oh man, a woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ 
which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him we honor in eternal dominion. But as for you, O man, O woman of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, for in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the Keithlin Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor in eternal dominion. Amen. Father, I pray right now with my brothers and sisters, because we are a room filled with very needy people. We need you more than we know. So quickly in our hearts, we turn to the things that we desire, the things that we think will bring us peace. Forgetting so fast that the true thing that can bring us peace was already brought to fruition through Jesus on the cross. We have peace with you. We can live at peace with one another. We can have a deep and abiding peace. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you call us into. Thank you for inviting us into active participation with you. It's unbelievable that we get to participate with the God of the universe. 
But yeah, this is our call. So we thank you. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory forever and ever.